Welcome to the Seahawkers Podcast with your host, Adam Emmert. I like my beer, my women, and my football team to be low on the hoopla scale. And Brandon Schultz. Throughout 200 episodes on the show, there's one message that's been consistent. Don't do math. Go Hawks! This is episode 200 of the Seahawkers podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz of the Military Seahawkers. And joining me, my good buddy, Montana Seahawker, Adam Emmert. It only took 200 episodes, Brandon, for uh, John Schneider to finally start listening to us. He finally started listening to you. And on episode 200, I I think we have to bring in the fanfare music because uh, there is some big news right as we are sitting down to do the show it's almost it almost feels like an emergency podcast like we saw this news we had to get on the microphone and talk about it here comes the big news this is big i can't wait dramatic music for a dramatic signing brandon seabass is in the house that's right we have a legit kicker sebastian janikowski the big lefty Gonna come in and boom kicks for the Seahawks. Hopefully, take us uh, from nine wins to eleven wins. Hopefully, yeah. The the funny thing is, I see I got that music all prepared and set up just because we were doing our our two hundredth show. But uh, it seems more fitting to to introduce our our new kicker. I think uh, the competition will obviously be interesting between him and Jason Myers, the former Jacksonville Jaguars kicker. But interesting is an interesting word to use because I'm sure Jason Myers uh, saw this news today and it's maybe not as good a day for him. No, he's he's bumming out a little bit, but he's going to have to bring his A game. No doubt about it. But you know how the Seahawks love to play younger players. So that's the one thing that that makes me a little nervous. I mean, it feels a little like when they brought in Antoine Winfield at corner. And uh, I was kind of excited about that. He was gone in like uh, three weeks, had a cup of coffee and he was out. Sebastian Janikowski is not going to be the Antoine Winfield of 2018. Come on. You were excited Perfect. about this. What, what's going excited. on now? You're all, all of a sudden poo-pooing it. No, I'm super excited. Okay. In fact, we were we were we were chatting on uh, the microphones before we got on with the pod here. Yeah. And, what are we going to uh, talk about today? What are we going to talk about? And I was being all grumpy and I was <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about Kaepernick because I don't care. I don't want to talk about Stephen Morris because I don't care. I don't want to talk about that bum cornerback we got from the Niners because I don't care. That's all going to take like 15 minutes. And then bloop, there's a notification on my phone. Seabass fishing. Yeah. Hooked a big one. Yeah. And so now I'm excited. Otherwise, this show would have sucked. <laughs> well, fortunately, we have Rob Staten coming on the show who would who would have saved it anyway, because That's we're true. talking defense and, and potential draft picks. And actually... Rob's going to be on for this show, episode 200 and episode 201, because we're going to be talking about offensive players next week. I'm so glad Rob was here to break down some of the possible draftees, because uh, this also falls into the category of I don't care (laughs) until they're on the team. Like I just it's really difficult for me to take time looking at a bunch of guys that aren't going to be on my team. And fortunately, Rob's really good at it and comes and drops the knowledge. So stay tuned for that coming up here, folks. Uh, Rob has got you covered for the draft. Well, you know who's going to be on our team next year? Sebastian Janikowski. Correct. He's going to be kicking footballs. Uh, He has a lifetime field goal percentage of 80.4%. Uh, Long field goal in his career, 63 yards. I, I go back. Wasn't there one time... 
who was the coach for the Raiders that year where they attempted like a 70 some yarder <laughs> trotted Sebastian Janikowski out right before the half or something crazy like that? It was in Denver. I remember that. And the wind was at his back. But it was Did like 75 yards. <laughs> yeah. But it's it, obviously Sebastian Janikowski uh, came in, had a physical and a meeting with the Seahawks and everything obviously checked out after being injured most of last year. Um, a back injury, I believe. And look, he's been relatively healthy through the majority of his career. I'm very bullish on this. This is exactly what we needed. Uh, this was the position that I was uh, most nervous about this offseason, for the most part. Uh, short of offensive line, they took care of that a little bit with DJ Fluker, who I still believe is a great run blocker, no matter what other people poo-poo it, uh, but uh, or how they poo-poo it. But I think he's actually going to be an upgrade there. And uh, this is the next big, the next big deal. And look, I mean, think about it. How many games Blair Walsh cost us last year? I say two. Some people argue three. I've 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 heard it go up as high as four. Um, I yeah. don't even know how many losses we had last year. If we can blame all of them, I guess we can't blame the Rams game uh, on him, but except for maybe just his presence on the sideline. Yeah, that was clearly his fault. Yes, Adam, it was a 76-yard attempt, and it was actually in Oakland. It wasn't in Denver. His, his longest what he made was in Denver, but the one okay. that he attempted uh, was 76 yards uh, in Oakland. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, that's basically at sea level is right. where he was trying that. So that's interesting. But look, a lot of people make fun of Al Davis over the years for some of his crazy first-round draft picks and things like that. Sebastian Janikowski was a legit first-round draft pick for him for them. Yeah. Uh, what is what is that? You're 17 for him or something like that? He started he in his first season was in the year. Yeah. In 2000. So he's okay. had. Is that 17 years? That is 17 years. 17th overall pick in the 2000 NFL draft. So we have, the, we have the 18th overall pick this year. Could you imagine, though, if there was just a great kicker that the Seahawks took with their number 18 overall pick? That would be a little crazy. And I don't see that happening, but you yeah. never know with John Schneider. He is a wild card, right? Yeah. I no, but I there's way too many holes. There's no way they draft a kicker with their number one pick. March second, nineteen seventy-eight. He's older than both of us. This is cool. <laughs> I like it. Finally, a dude that's just slightly older than both of us. That makes me that helps because there was a point when every player on the Seahawks was younger than me, and that that didn't feel good. No. Now we now we have someone we, we can identify with. Absolutely. Hold my um, beer. Watch this. That's what Janikowski's <laughs> going to do. That's what he's going to say every time he goes to kick off. Hold my beer. Watch this. He's going to go out there and do something. Now, he's only been voted to the Pro Bowl once. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? That was his uh, 2011 season. 33 years old. Really? Yeah. That is almost impossible to, to believe. It was the year after that he led the league in attempts and, and field mm. goals made. That's really surprising to me. That is because he's been a knock dead kicker pretty much his entire career yeah. with a big leg. Yeah. And played the almost the entire season every single year because he sat out the entire 2017 season. Right. Well, Sebastian Janikowski going to be a sweet. Seahawk. Well, now that we had something to talk about, let's talk about the stuff that we don't really need to talk about. Well, we can talk about how we had Deion Jordan got heard the news that he's signed his first round tender. tender. Yep. Yep. Which is great news. I mean, we're going to need him. We're counting on him to be uh, the type of pass rusher that maybe Michael Bennett was. So there's some there's some large shoes to fill. Good luck with that. Just a little bit. Yeah. J.D. McKissick and Quentin Jefferson 
sign their exclusive rights tenders. So that's awesome. We'll see if Quentin Jefferson could ever put together a healthy season. A guy with uh, a lot of talent, somebody the Seahawks really like, and he could be an amazing addition to the defensive tackle rotation throughout the throughout the year. But um, my favorite signing of that is uh, J.D. McKissick. I think he might be the most talented back we have on the team. I love it, man. And if we're rebuilding around Russell Wilson, I think J.D. McKissick is the type of back that you're going to want to run. Now, we've seen that the Seahawks have kind of gone the other direction. I think Pete Carroll's mindset is a little different. I think he wants to pound the ball again. And that's not exactly who J.D. McKissick is. He's not a guy run between the tackles type of guy. I mean, he does it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe not the most effective. Uh, to me, I see him as C.J. Procise insurance. If Procise. Yeah. Finally, if he, if we have another year where Procise can't get it together and stay healthy, then he's your backup option. Right. Or maybe C.J. Procise is J.D. McKissick insurance. I, I tend to think that Procise has a little more talent, but. Uh, we, what would make you limited, think that he's had a limited time on the field so hey health is a power to talent man yeah and uh the health hasn't been good for cj no, no doubt about no, it but hope for hoping for a healthy season from him as well i mean look if we could just get one of these guys to be healthy and pop this year it'd make all the difference it really would well one guy who's certainly going to make the difference we now have a third string quarterback on the roster, Stephen Morris. Right. Coming over from the Colts. I think he played also for Washington. I think he was drafted by the Dolphins or Jacksonville. Jaguars. One of the yeah, Jaguars. one of the Florida teams. Yeah. It's really important you know, that I remember those things. Yeah. You know how many times I've heard of Stephen Morris? This morning. Yes. <laughs> that was it. So hooray? Yeah. I mean I should, should I get the fanfare music back out again? Uh he could be off the he could be off the team by the end of <laughs> Training week. camp, man. Yeah, you never know. But yeah, because you've got Russell Wilson as a first stringer, hurt Russell Wilson as a second stringer, and then uh, what? Are, what's this guy's name again? <laughs> Stephen Morris. Morris. Right. For now. Correct. He's never thrown a regular season pass, so that's cool. You know they're going to bring in more guys. Austin Davis could be back next year, too. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, somebody who I know isn't going to be on the team next year uh, from the news this week, Colin Kaepernick. I think we'll save that for our discussion after our conversation with Mr. Rob Staten, Adam. Okay, cool. Cause that's going to take like 10 seconds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I that it was one of those stories that came out and there was lots of consternation again for no freaking reason. Well, we'll save that as a tease then. For, okay. for what we'll talk about. Let's bring Ron Rob because we're going to talk about some defense. You know, Adam, how I like to look at the players that the Seahawks have actually visited with. And so we're going to talk about these guys with our SeahawksDraftBlog.com analyst, Rob Staten. And we welcome back Mr. Rob Staten, SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Episode 200 of the show, Rob, and uh, happy to have you on as a uh, featured guest for uh, for this 200th show of ours. I, I didn't realize it was your 200th show, so it's, it's a real honor to be part of the show again and uh, very much looking forward to, to what should be a really exciting draft in a couple of weeks as well. I wish I could say we planned it out perfectly so that you would be the guest <laughs> on episode 200 because we just we had that much respect over your, your draft uh, analysis, but it turns out it was coincidence, but I, I'm glad it worked out that way <laughs> hey coincidences are good sometimes <laughs> well rob we wanted to talk about some draft picks and one of the things i like to look at is the different prospects that the seahawks 
actually visit with because you know i think a lot of times we get hung up on you know the first and second round guys you know those top 50 type players because they're the most exciting they're the biggest names uh, and often the the best players coming out of college football but you know then with when the seahawks only have one pick inside the top 50 uh, that leaves out all these other potential guys that we're going to see go on day two day three and as we saw last year you know guys like Shaquille Griffin a guy that they actually met with uh, that ended up being on the team and so I, I like to take a look at some of these guys they've had the meetings with whether it was just a you know private visit they get 30 private visits where players come to the VMAC and sit down with the team or you know sometimes they just meet with the, these guys at the combine and it gets reported out I don't know if all of them end up getting reported out but the ones that we get word of are the ones that i like to write down and keep track of yeah and these are important because i don't know if people realize but one of the there's two things teams can do at this time of year they can work out players off site so they can go to for example pete carroll and john schneider recently went to arizona to work out Kalen Blage, Cal Allen and Christian Kirk all at the same facility at the same time. They can do that and they can have, I think, as many of those as possible as they can fit in the schedule. And you get the 30 visits on site, which is usually a tour of the stadium to go and meet some of the people behind the scenes to go to the VMAC. And you don't do any workouts when you go on those visits. It's, it's medical checks and it is basically just seeing if you fit as a person inside the building. And it's, mm. it's the likes of, of Shaquille Griffin and Malik McDowell and Kristen Michael that have had those visits and ended up being drafted by the Seahawks. So these are these are important things to keep track of. These VMAC visits are very, very crucial in telling us who they might be interested in. Well, I'll note that as we go through the list, whether or not it was a v- VMAC visit or some other type of visit. But let's get started. Let's start talking about the defensive guys. A lot of guys on defense that the Seahawks uh, appear to be interested in, whether it's through the, the private visits to the VMAC or just combine workouts. Let's start with a, the defensive line. And despite signing a, a few interior defenders, having a few interior defenders already on the team, there's some interesting names of, of guys that they're looking at here, uh, starting with Maurice Hurst, a defensive tackle out of Michigan. And this was a player who reportedly visited the VMAC as well. And, and this is a guy six foot one, two ninety two, So he's kind of on the, the smaller end, 32-inch uh, arm length, which is what the Seahawks tend to look for. But... Uh, I hear a lot of people saying if Hurst were bigger, he'd be undoubtedly a first round draft pick. Yeah, I think the, the, some teams are going to look at him and they're going to probably have him in the top 25 of their overall board. And then some of the teams are going to look at him as nearer 50 to 60 in time in terms of range. And it's purely going to be about scheme with someone like Maurice Hurst. If you are a team that is willing to have a one gap penetrator who's, who just really is rushing one gap whose main priority is to get into the backfield you know these blitz heavy teams might look at somebody like that or if you're willing to use him as a pass rush specialist in in the kind of the role that Clinton McDonald had in the past with the Seahawks or Jordan Hill then he can he can really do that role the one thing that Maurice Hurst is probably going to be a bit of a problem for you and it might limit his stock is that if you want to use him on early downs teams are going to target him in the running game because he's just not big. I mean, he's not got the length to keep people off his frame. You know, these big hulking offensive linemen that are coming into the league are going to get into his frame and they might boss him around a little bit. And look, he's he's so athletic and so quick and so tenacious that he's probably still going to make the occasional play in a game. But if he gets one sack or one tackle for a loss or one pressure but gives up 10 plays in the running game, then that's not going to be a win for your team on the day. It might be a win in his stat column, but in terms of the, the shape of the defense, that's going to be an issue. So 
from the Seahawks perspective, someone like Maurice Hurst would be really good to bring in in a third down situation or an obvious passing situation, try and help get the team off the field. They've never really had that great interior pass rusher. They were hoping Malik McDowell was going to do that and he, he hasn't been able to do it. Maurice Hurst could do that. Um, but it's really just about how early you're going to take him. You know, you're, you're probably not going to take that type of a guy, I wouldn't think, at the end of the first round if you don't think that he's going to be able to play first and second down. So, He's, he's really good. He's a player that I, I really like. And as a pass rusher, as an interior pass rusher, he's probably the best one in this draft class. But you've got to sort of judge where are you comfortable taking him. And I would think that probably for a team like Seattle might be more round two than round one. But there will be teams, I think, at the end of round one, Atlanta being a good example of that, who may give him serious consideration as a round one pick. Let's move on to defensive tackle Andrew Brown out of Virginia. And this is an interesting name because I think he's been he was one of those names I remember being up more toward the top of the draft, considering his length and explosiveness. I hear a lot of those terms thrown around with him, but kind of fallen down to maybe day three type prospect based on teams having some concerns around his motivation. He was on on the bench the first couple seasons of his but uh, probably fits within a lot of the measurements the Seahawks look for a defensive tackle as well. The 6'4", 296-pound guy. Yeah, I really like Andrew Brown. I think there's a couple of things that has really stood out for him is that at the senior bowl, he was fantastic. And when you watch him play, he's he's a a high-effort guy. And I think part of the problem with him and, and the reason why he's, he's a former five-star recruit. He was one of the big, big-time recruits when he actually was recruited by Virginia. And it was a coup that they managed to get him, get him to the school. Um, and he's never quite delivered on that potential in terms of dominating games in college, um, making the big splash plays, recording the big numbers. But then there was him and there was Quinn Blanding at the same time. And he's in this draft class as well, who were two five-star prospects that Virginia got and neither of them really lived up to potential. So you, sometimes you wonder, is that because of the team and the situation or is it because of the, the two players? And I think with Andrew Brown, he, he's just his effort, his, non, his motor is non-stop. There was this great play at the Senior Bowl in the, in the 1v1s against the um, offensive linemen where it was a false start and Andrew Brown kind of, he went into his rush and kind of like pirouetted on the floor and did this. It was almost like he was breakdancing and spun back around into position then was in his stance and all the coaches were laughing because he was ready again. And it just showed how athletic he is for his size and, and how I think committed he is to the game. He's, he's had some adversity in his life. His mother died at a young age. His parents had split up and he had to go and live with his dad who was, I think he was a bit of a taskmaster and, and, and put a lot of pressure on him. He's not had the easiest upbringing in that regard. But I, I think he's, he is somebody who, for me, could easily go in round two round three kind of range it wouldn't be a surprise because you're just talking about somebody who's so athletic so big is not going to fail because of a lack of effort and I think teams want to see defensive linemen who don't just rely on the talent they do have that effort there and I think Andrew Brown's a very interesting player to keep an eye on I think that he could easily be a, a target who fits not only the the size and the length the Seahawks like but also people who are all football he could be somebody they consider in that regard and he is one of those guys that came in for the private visit at the VMAC. 4.48 short shuttle speed. That's that's pretty incredible. It's what they look for. Defensive tackle Puna Ford out of Texas, besides having one of the best names of all the guys uh, <laughs> that they brought in uh, for a private visit. Puna Ford out of Texas. Yeah, He's a potentially, I've seen him talked about as a definitely a day three type of guy, maybe even undrafted type of player. But I think that's a lot to do with the, the fact that he's six feet tall and, and six feet might actually be generous. Uh, I've seen 5'11 on some reports, <laughs> uh, 305 pound guy, but uh, definitely, you know, one of those interior run stopping types of players that maybe has some upside. 
Yeah, I, I guess you could say he's the Russell Wilson of defensive tackles. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he'll probably say that he's six foot, but I think he's very much in that 5'11 range. I think the interesting thing with this guy is that usually when you have someone who's 5'11 who's, who's playing any position, they don't have long arms. And, and Puna Ford has, you know, despite his lack of height, I think he's got over 33-inch arms, which is the threshold that the Seahawks usually look for. And, and that's going to help him. So on the one point, he's probably going to win a lot of leverage battles because he's going to be closer to the ground than, than some of these offensive linemen that he's going to play. So he's going to be able to get into the chest. It's going to be very difficult for a six foot four center or guard to get into his frame. He's going to find it a lot easier to get into theirs. And he's got the length to sort of reach out and, and, and deliver a punch, deliver a jolt, ball rush. You know, he's, he's got the... The, the compact frame, but with the length, which is very, very unique. You don't see defensive linemen built like this. And and he's he's got a chip on his shoulder. He wasn't invited to the combine, I don't think. And he's, he's talked about how that kind of pissed him off a little bit. And, and that's given him even more motivation. I think that he feels like he didn't get the respect that he deserved at Texas because everybody just looked at what a defensive tackle. He's 5'11". That's not going to make any sense. And, and he sort of plays off that a little bit. So if the Seahawks don't get someone like Maurice Hurst early on, and they want to add that quick interior rusher. And, and Puna Ford's not quite as dynamic and as quick as a pass rusher as Maurice Hurst. But if they wanted to look for somebody who maybe has got the potential to try and play that kind of a role, he could be an alternative. I think he's probably going to go out the, the round five type of range. Okay. But he could be somebody who could go in that kind of range there and they could consider him later on. Well, and the Seahawks do have four fifth round picks. So uh, interesting to see how they use him. You know, they, they've got to use one on a corner, you know that. But uh, one of these defensive t- and I like the the idea of somebody who has a chip on his shoulder based on height. And, and that's probably just because of our quarterback. One out of one so far with guys who've got a chip on the shoulder about the height. Right. So why not? Why not try for another? Moving on, defensive tackle Abdullah Anderson out of Bucknell, a small school guy that I didn't see a whole lot of information on other than a guy who dominated in the All-Patriot League. So small school guy and the fact that he blocked four kicks uh, in his career at Bucknell. Yeah, and, and the Seahawks do a good job of finding these guys. You know, their area scouts do a pretty good job of identifying who are the players to bring in and, and take a look at. They have them on their radar quite quickly. This is a guy who's had some production there. has got some of the athletic traits they like. And if you actually look down the list of players that they have met with, you know, there are like Foyer, um, Oluokun, I think yeah. it is. Who's, who's a Yale. You know, he's another one who's is this big safety linebacker type, hits like a sledgehammer and has got the athletic ability. And there's one or two others on there as well. These smaller school guys or off-the-radar guys guys who've got this real athletic potential and I think when with players like this you're not looking at them to take them in round three you're looking at them to try and create an impression on them and make them feel like you really want them so that if they become undrafted that plays in their mind where they're deciding where to go the Seahawks I think for a couple of years now have not been able to convince the top undrafted free agents to come and play in Seattle because they look at the roster and they go how am I going to make the team and then they look at somebody else and it it might be a a weaker franchise it might be somebody who's not got the potential or has not got the the level of talent of Seattle but they think that's my route to stick in the NFL it's to go to the team with less talent and to go and try and compete for a starting job or some depth job there as opposed to just being the guy who kind of flashes a little bit in Seattle and then gets cut before the end of preseason. So I think they've got a, a real chance this year to get some really interesting undrafted free agents. And I think a lot of these these guys, the you know, the pass rusher and the, and the safeties and the linebackers, they're going to look at Seattle's roster now and say, I'm going to get an opportunity to compete for a job here and maybe even potentially start down the line in the way that Doug Baldwin did as an undrafted free agent, Jermaine Kearse, people like that. So I think there's going to be some opportunities there. And I think this is this might be even more exciting than the draft itself. The players that Seattle are able to acquire after the draft 
and the level of competition they can have going into training camp. Well, a couple of those other guys who may have hit your radar as you know, small school guys or just not big names that, that maybe they may be considering as undrafted free agents. I see uh, linebacker uh, Zare Franklin from Syracuse, cornerback Devron Davis, uh, UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio, I believe that is. Cornerbacks Chris Cisse from Portland State. Uh, they, they've done pretty well getting corners out of uh, Portland State and trade, training those guys up. So uh, those are just any of those names in particular jump out at you? Yeah, the linebacker at Syracuse is, is another one who, if you know, you, you want people who have, have got a chip on their shoulder about not getting invited to the combine. He was exactly the same. He was asked about it after his pro day. How do you feel about the fact you weren't invited after you tested so well at the pro day? It was kind of like, well, maybe they should have invited me after all. And he kind of looked, he wasn't doing it in a kind of an aggressive kind of way, but it was it was a, a point well made. You know, he tested very, very well. And there were some, some linebackers at the combine who didn't test particularly well. And then I went and had a look at some of his play. And he's a pretty good player. He's the type of player that you could imagine coming in, working with Ken Norton Jr. and actually sticking on the roster, probably initially on special teams. But they do need some young linebacker depth. And he's he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. He's mature, very, very athletic. You could imagine him getting a tryout at the Seahawks, possibly as an undrafted free agent or as a later round pick, maybe sort of like round five to seven kind of range. And the UTSA cornerback is another interesting player. UTSA have had... Some some pretty good athletic players come through. I mean, Marcus Davenport's going to be in this this draft as well, and is going to go in the top fifteen. And he's another one who had some production there and made some plays. Very confident, a, a little bit outspoken, I think, on Twitter based on what I was looking there. And it's kind of got a bit of a the kind of attitude you want to see of cornerbacks. You know, this is the kind of cornerback that Seahawks have have had success with. That have got that inner confidence and that belief in themselves. I think he's, he's he tweeted something like he was one of the better cornerbacks in the draft or something like that. Mm. He's not going to go as early as a lot of these others, but he's somebody that you're going to get later on and then might use that as motivation. I think I should have gone a lot earlier than this. I'm going to go and prove a point here, and he could be somebody that they really look at. Well, somebody that the 49ers are also apparently interested in too. And now that we're running similar defensive schemes, I, maybe have you been kind of watching the, some of those other teams like the 49ers or Jacksonville, Atlanta, uh, that they've been looking at for particular guys to see if it's it's similar at all? San Francisco, yes. More so than the other two, just because I think that they're in a similar stage. The Seahawks now where they're trying to build out maybe a younger defense, get some new players, find some new stars, find some gems there. I think with Atlanta, they're, they're a team that are trying to find the pieces that will get them over the edge. So a, a few weeks ago, I had them trading up to go and get Maurice Hurst and training with the Seahawks because you're right, he might be a specialist pass rusher for a lot of teams, but Atlanta's probably in the position where they can really go all in on a, on a specialist pass rusher because they've got so many good pieces and, and most of the franchise is in place already. So I think that they're in a, in a different position where they want to contend this year, where Seahawks are maybe just sort of retooling a little bit and the San Francisco 49ers are not retooling, but they're, they're trying to build something up. And with Jacksonville, they're, they're pretty loaded now. You know, they, they know who they are. They know what they want to be. They want to be tough. They want to be physical. They've got a great running back. They've got a great offensive line. They've spent even more money on that. They've re- moved around the receivers, but the defense is pretty set. The one thing I'm a bit surprised is that the Jaguars have never really tested Seattle's resolve, or at least we've not heard about this, about Earl Thomas, because the one thing that Jacksonville have really struggled with is the deep ball, and they gave up so many so many big plays downfield in the playoff game against um, Pittsburgh. They did against the Seahawks, nearly lost the game against the Seahawks because of their terrible deep field defense and just gave up two huge touchdown passes, one to Richardson, one to Lockett, which got Seattle back in the game. If they had that Earl Thomas-type free safety, that would complete their team apart from if you trust Blake Bortles or not, that would be the one thing that they're missing. I'm a little bit surprised that they haven't, seeing as they seem to be all in at the moment, 
sort of had a, a sniff there and maybe tried to tempt the Seahawks with their late first round pick. Is there any thought that you still have that the Seahawks still could trade him here before drafting? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's no one's ruled it out. Right. So until that happens, you know, you, you kind of feel like it could happen. I think as soon as the draft finishes, if it hasn't happened then, then it's done. You know, you, you're not going to trade him after the draft for yeah. a 2019 draft pick. So you want the stock now. I think there's Bryant being cut, could change things. And then the Dallas Cowboys would have about 10 days to try and work something out. And and the Seahawks can sit there and say, this is what we want. And Dallas can see if they want to bid. I, I don't think Dallas will give up their first round pick, but it might be that they're willing to give up the second and third or a second this year and a second next year or something like that. And then the Seahawks will have a decision to make. I'm still not sold that the Cowboys will be able to do it, but that's I guess I guess that's one interesting place to watch. I, I want to get back to the defensive line, and uh, this is a player who I've been interested to get your take on for a while, and that's defensive end Josh Sweat from Florida State, you know, edge rusher type player. And one of the things I, I also like to look at, um, apart from just the visits, and this is a guy who came into the VMAC for a private visit, but... I like to look at guys who right after the draft, you, you see those way too early mock drafts. The, the one thing that interests me, though, is a year later going back and looking at some of those way too early mock drafts and seeing some of the names that are on those lists. And I remember seeing Josh Sweat uh, of Florida State on that list. And now I'm seeing him. Well, maybe he'll go around, you know, late round two, possibly round three, maybe even on day three. And I think a part of that has to do with uh, injury issues with his with his knee. But a guy, again, meets all the measurables that the Seahawks look for, you know, four, five, 40, a 10 foot four broad jump, a 39 and a half inch vertical, a four to eight short shuttle and has, you know, really long arms, 34, almost 35 inch arms. So uh, what are some of your thoughts on sweat? If you were picking in the top five based on pure measurables, he would be in the top five. I mean, he's got everything that you would want from an elite pass rusher. As you mentioned, there, the quickness, the length. He had a, a 1.5, 10-yard split, which is in the elite category. Everything that you want in a pass rusher, Josh Sweat has physically. But there are some issues. You mentioned there, the, the injuries. The other big issue with him is that when you watch him play, it's a little bit frustrating. He's quite often the last guy off the off the ball. So the ball gets snapped and, and you see the other three um, defensive linemen set off and attack the quarterback and he's just a split second behind everybody else. And you see this time and time again. And, and I don't know whether that's because of the injury. He had a big knee brace that he was, he was wearing, whether he was playing a little bit cautiously because of that, I, I'm not too sure. But when he gets after it, when he is going all out after the quarterback, you do see a lot of a lot of great talent there and a lot of potential. And the thing that teams are going to have to weigh up here is, can you trust the knees? Can you trust him to stay healthy? Um, and again, what? how early do you want to take him? Because I've seen people even projecting that he could go in the late first round. And I think that's a review of of where we are with pass rushes now. One, they're so important. And two, there just aren't that many in this draft class. Once Bradley Chubb's gone, you know, Marcus Davenport's going to go in the top 15 because teams always need pass rushers. Harold Landry's probably going to go in the, in the second half of the first round, I think. And then you're looking at people like Josh Sweat and Sam Hubbard and people like that who are the next one up. And if you really need a pass rusher, Tennessee, for example, needs an outside rusher. And if Harold Landry's not there, are they going to look at Josh Sweat and are they going to look at um, Sam Hubbard and think, well, we'll just pull the trigger here or trade down a little bit and take them? So are you willing to do that with Josh Sweat with the knee injuries and some of those issues there? Is he going to be a, a guy that's still with you in six, seven years or is he just going to be a one contract guy? And if you have got that little bit of concern, are you looking more at the late second round? So if the Seahawks move down, let's say that they did a deal to move into the early second round and acquired either a late second round pick as well or an early third round pick 
at what range can you get Joshua? Is it going to have to be the first pick or is it going to have to be the second one? And if it's the first one, they may just be a little bit cautious of going down that road, especially after the fact that they've wasted two second round picks on Sheldon Richardson, who's no longer with the team. And Malik McDowell may never play with the team. Do you want to go for the third there? Or are you going to take someone who's maybe just a little bit, you're a little bit more confident about is actually going to be out on the field for 16 games this year. Well, it almost feels like the for whatever first pick that they have to take really needs to be, uh, they, they need to hit on it just based off yeah. of the history. And when you have so many questions like that, again, I, I think of who's going to be there at edge and b- probably being one of the biggest positions of need for the Seahawks now. Oh, yeah. Uh, he might be one of the last few guys on the board that really have the potential to make an impact. They need an edge, and um, I, I don't know whether there, there seem to be a lot of guys going to the VMAT. Dorrance Armstrong um, from from Kansas was there. Breland speaks. You know, we might come on to some of these guys in a minute, but uh, it, it seems to me like they're they're looking at the options that are going to be there in the in the early second round, and then they're looking if they don't want to take the guy that's that's there or if he's off the board. They're looking at the players who are going to be available on day three who have got a bit of potential there. So they're going to draft a, an edge rusher at some point. It's just a case of how does the the draft board work for them? You know, is he going to be a bit too rich when Josh Sweat goes for them? So they go in a different direction. Is he going to be nicely in place for them to take in the second round so they can take him and then look at other positions later on? How is the board going to fall? And that's, uh, that's one of the things the Seahawks do quite well. They kind of know where they are in the draft. You know, you're not going to be able to get everybody you like. So they come up with a plan A. Okay, we need an edge rusher. Let's look at this guy here. If he's not there, or if there's somebody else we prefer there, then these are the alternatives here in round three, four, five. So it seems like a lot of these VMAP visits have got that in mind because they are meeting with a lot of uh, defensive ends. Well, you mentioned Breland Speaks out of Ole Miss and you know potentially one of those guys who, who fits into that category. And then there's also, you know if you're looking day, day three, undrafted type player, Damone Harris, uh, six foot four, 275 pound and out of Buffalo, uh, had five sacks as a senior, had finished with nine and a half sacks. Uh, the cool thing about him went from being a walk-on uh, to being a starter as a sophomore and uh, 59 tackles five horse fumbles over his career so between maybe those are a couple of guys that, that fall into that backup category speaks and harris yeah definitely you know harris i've not had a chance to watch a lot of him but as you mentioned that you know he's, he's got the physical traits that they like has got some production there seems to have battled a little bit to, to have a, a football career at buffalo so someone to keep an eye on and, and breland speaks is a very interesting player another one who maybe didn't quite deliver on his potential when you watch him play if you watched a highlights video of brilliant speaks you'd think he was a first round pick just the stuff that he does at his size is incredible and he's got good size good length great quickness very very mobile very agile for his size can play some defensive end and, and rush the passer off the edge and can bend the arc and do all of those things that you expect an edge rusher to do but he's got the size to move inside potentially play some three technique could be someone who's a bit of an inside out rusher and there's a lot to like there the problem is is that when you actually watch a full game as opposed to the highlights you also see a lot of plays where he's ineffective so if you want to get excited about brilliant speaks there are plenty of highlights videos that will get you excited on youtube if you want to watch and and see some of the reasons why he's probably going to go in the middle rounds as opposed to the early rounds then watch a full game because you do see some frustrating things there but in in terms of pure talent he is and, and this is the thing when you're in those middle rounds or those later rounds you're not going to draft someone who's a sure thing you've got to try and do a bit of projection there you've got to say can we work with this guy and that's part of the vmac visits all about it's it's getting them in how does he fit into into our locker room how's he going to fit into our building and our and our 
the, the personality that we want from our team. Can we draft and develop this guy? And if they feel good about him, then, then he's the type of player that you know Pete Carroll can get his hands on, defensive coaches can get their hands on there and try and make him into something. He's got the potential to be a good NFL starter, and it's just about learning that information about him this week to determine whether he's going to be a good NFL starter for you. So as a guy who is 6'3", 285, do you see him more as a guy who can move around both interior and then on the edge, or do you see him as an edge rushing type player? I think he could do both. And, and you know, watching some of the, the plays that he made, he was rushing the edge as well as anybody, you know, as, as much as a 250-pound um, edge. I mean, he, he really does get around the arc and he's got that quickness. I think he, I think he ran a very good short shuttle of memory serves, or at least good enough. And I think it was in the four fives, maybe. Yeah, four um, six five is, twenty yard shuttle. Okay, it's not too bad. I mean, he, but he can. I think his split actually is the thing that I'm thinking of. I think his, his ten yard split was about one six four, which for his size is really good. You know, anything in one point five is a is elite. And when you're two hundred eighty pounds, if you're doing one six four, if he was twenty pounds lighter, he'd probably be in the one point fives. So you know, I, I think that that's the thing with him is that he he's got that potential. I think he's he's definitely someone to keep an eye on because if you're looking for guys later on who can give you pass rush value later on, he's definitely one of those who could do that. Really like him. And I've seen him projected around round three, round four. So maybe if he's still there with that uh, fourth round pick that the Seahawks have, and we still don't know what they're going to do as far as trading around. One guy, though, that j- kind of jumped out at me looking at these names, uh, Leighton Vander Esch, Boise State linebacker, oh, yeah. had him in for a private visit. And he's one of these guys who... Early on, I don't think there was a whole lot of talk about him, but now he's kind of being talked about as a potential top 15, top 20 uh, type player. What a player. I mean, he's just fantastic. I mean, he, he, he does everything. I mean, he's, he's going to be, for me, I think he's going to be a star. I, I think you, you could play him an inside linebacker as a, as a Mike. You could play him outside if you wanted to. You could have him doing pretty much anything. I mean, he's, he's just got the, the speed, the range. There's, there's this one play that I loved. I can't remember which game it's in, so I can't recommend people go and watch it. But it, it, there was a game where they, they did a, a running back tossed out to the, to the right-hand side, and he has run through three different defenders, just sifted through the tackle. He is there in a flash and just absolutely hammers the running back for a big loss. I, I don't know if it was Rashad Penny. It might have been against San Diego State. I can't remember who the opponent was, but it was just an incredible play. And it just showed what it's, it's the kind of play that Luke Keekley made when he was uh, young and coming into the league. And I actually put the numbers and compared them between Luke Keekley and Leighton Van Der Esch. And physically, they are almost identical. They're, in terms of their size, the way that they tested, you know, the, the way they ran in the 40, the vertical jumps, the, the, the agility testing, everything about them just looked so similar. And then when you sort of study the, the person and, and, and get to know him a little bit more when you watch the interviews and you see his character, he is a really, really solid all-football player. And if the Seahawks had their second and third, their native second and third round picks and were able to spend those picks and hadn't traded them away. Mm-hmm. And if Leighton Van Der Esch was there at number 18, I would say draft him. I mean, it's not the biggest need on the team. You could fit him in as alongside Bobby Wagner and, and KJ Wright this year. Potentially, you could replace KJ Wright if they didn't want to re- resign him in a year's time. And that would be just, it would be a, a pick that would work. Um, but because they don't have the second and third rounder, I don't think you, if you take a linebacker at 18, then you're waiting till pick 120 in, in round four until you address some of your other needs. And yeah, you've made your linebacker group even stronger, but you know the running game hasn't been helped. The cornerback position hasn't been helped. The defensive line position hasn't been helped. 
it, it just seems to me like they would they, they'd be better off sort of looking at that area as well. So I, I think that it's probably going to be a bit too rich. I think he's probably going to be off the board at 18 as well. I've got a feeling he's going to go in the top 15. Don't think he's going to get past Oakland and Green Bay and Baltimore and teams like that. But he's a great player. What position would the Seahawks have to, or would it be a particular player to only pick at 18 and then wait until day three? Is there anybody? Yeah, I, I mean, this question comes up a lot on the blog, and and the answer I've always given is is always the only the only players that I would say, okay, forget it, just stay at 18, uh, are the players that have got no chance of being there. So it's it's Bradley Chubb, it's Saquon Barkley, it's Quentin Nelson. Yeah, you know the the guys who are going to go in the top ten because I think once those guys are, you know, they're they're the best. You know, apart from the quarterbacks and the teams are going to draft them early because they're quarterbacks. But you know, the, the real best players in the draft are Saquon, it's Quentin Nelson, it's uh, Bradley Chubb, it's Tremaine Edmonds, it's it's probably Van der Esch and, and Roquan. You know, I, I really like Isaiah Wynn and Ronald Jones the second, but you know, other people are going to have them a bit lower down. And and for me, it's it's kind of those Saquons, Quentins, Bradley Chubbs that, that you would stick at 18. But because they're not going to be there, I think you have to trade down, get into the second round, because that's where the, there's going to be a ton of value there. I read a piece, I think it was by Albert Breer, and he'd spoken to an executive and they said, the problem that Buffalo's got trying to trade up and get a quarterback is pick number 22 might as well be pick number 52, because the value at 22 is going to be the same. And that sums up the draft. There are going to be about 50 players who are graded very, very similarly in this draft class. The guy you get at 52 is probably going to be the, the same grade as the guy at 25. And so it does make sense in, in that regard to trade down. Plus, if you trade down enough, that gives you more picks to make sure that you can get uh, Shaquem Griffin, uh, the linebacker out of Central Florida exactly. on your team, and, and pair him <laughs> up with his brother. And this is this is another guy that they've they've met with, I think, on multiple occasions now. Yeah. Uh, definitely at the combine, and then they went to his pro day as well. It's it's going to be a bit disappointing if they don't draft him now because you know they have his brother. Um, they they met him. I the the thing is is that you you have to look at Shaquem and you have to have to acknowledge that there are going to be some limitations there. Yeah. You know, he's not going to be. The, the NFL's best player. He's he's going to have some some. He's not going to be a full time linebacker. He's not going to be a full time edge rusher or pass rusher. However, he's just going to bring such an energy to a fan base and to a to a roster. He's probably going to be one of the leaders on the team immediately, just because he's got this infectious energy about him. And it, it's he's kind of got this. He's very lucky. He's kind of got this charisma to his his personality, which is just there's not a hint of arrogance there. I mean, it's just everything about him is so humble, but it's just got this big beaming smile. And I, whenever you sort of see him in doing an interview, you kind of feel good about yourself. And I think he's kind of got that. You know, he's going to be there and team players are going to gravitate to this guy. They're going to see it. He's going to work his ass off. You know, he's going to probably be the most intense, hardworking player out in the practice field. He's going to set the tone on special teams. He's going to make plays. You know, the Seahawks need speed. You know, one of the things they're going to have to draft in, in this in this class is speed. They're going to have to find some somewhere, and he's he's a four three eight linebacker slash pass rusher. You know, there's your speed, and he's also got the the, the character. You're going to know him better than any other team because you've drafted his twin brother. I mean, it, for me, it's going to be a no brainer that the Seahawks are going to find a way to draft this guy. I am possibly in that sort of round three, round four range. I think he's probably going to end up going in there. You know, if he's not a Seahawk, I think it's going it's going to be a little bit disappointing because I think. I think a lot of other teams would love to see him as well, but because his brother's already in Seattle, because they met with him so much, and because we know the Seahawks need some real speed and intensity and some energy, then I think he's a perfect fit for them. 
Well, and you talk about the charisma. He's the one guy out of all these guys that I actually have a clip for of both he and uh, Shaquille Griffin were interviewed on a show and they were talking about uh, how they want uh, how, how one time they well, I guess it was the last time maybe that they swapped classes. And it's kind of interesting thinking that they, <laughs> that they even swapped classes in school uh, because one of them doesn't have a hand uh, that the teacher wouldn't uh, notice. But uh, it, it's listen to this, uh, this comment, Rob, and how ultimately uh, uh, the reason why they got caught swapping classes. He was always good in math and I was good in English, so we switched classes to help each other on our, um, uh, on our work. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't really have that much work to do anyway. So once I finished his work, I was talking to my teammates. Only my teammates knew that we switched. Talked to my teammates and stuff, and then he was in class doing my work, and, you know, he'd been quiet and stuff. And my teacher kept calling me his name. Obviously, I'm in his class. Uh, about being about be quiet a lot everybody do their work <laughs> and I'm like I'm not listening not thinking about it why is she calling my brother's name like, this, I'm still I'm, I'm just still talking to my teammates and then she was like Shaquille why do you keep talking he's like it's not you why do you keep talking I'm like why do you keep calling me that it was really bad and then you gotta see my face when they come in taking me out of his class I'm doing everything <laughs> correct you know I'm quiet I'm getting the work done and I get pulled out of the class and you know finally got called and I see him in the office just looking crazy you know and then my mom got there oh man and you know that's one of the times where you're kind of scared to go home so you, no choice you got no choice but to go home so you, you try to figure out a way to, to stay around because you, you just scared to go home and, and, you know, and she didn't even say much she just gave it that look but uh Actually, when we got home, you know, we get a chance to, she gave us a chance to kind of explain ourselves. But it, she understood, she took it as a, you know, I'm glad you guys are looking out for each other. See, Rob, I, I want this. <laughs> I want this on the Seahawks. <laughs> yeah, I do as well. And, and it just, isn't that great? And, and don't you just, that just is a perfect clip to sort of highlight the, the, how great they are. You know, they're just, they're, they're fun. They are engaging. You could listen to them all day. And, and they're also petrified of their mother, which I just, the, the idea that, the, you know, these two American football players, you know, Shaquille's had a, a fantastic rookie season and Shaquem's going to come into the league. They're just great guys. And I would love to see, and I wouldn't, I don't just want to see Shaquem on the team because of his backstory or because it's, he's battled adversity or because he's, he's, he's a great interview. I want to see him on the team because he's, he's just, such a force you know you, I would I would encourage everybody to go and watch the, the, the bowl game against Orbit it is one of and it's not an exaggeration this is one of the best individual performances I've, I've seen since starting the blog 10 years ago he was just everywhere in that game he, he was like he took it upon himself that um, UCF were not going to lose that day and it was the biggest game of probably that college's history it was the biggest game of his career and he took it upon himself we are not going to lose today and it, I would just go and watch that game he, he has about three sacks or something. He, I think he forces a fumble. He delivers this crack back block on a on a fumble return. He's just fantastic. And if he's on the Seahawks next year, the Seahawks will be better for it. Well, now it feels kind of a letdown going on to another linebacker, Manes Hungaloo, uh, Oregon State linebacker, brought in for a private visit. Uh, this is another guy I haven't seen a whole lot on. No, I, I, when I saw the the link with him, I'd not watched him personally. You know, Oregon State didn't have much of a year, so I've, I've not had a chance to watch him. But again, this is it's another player that they're going to have to find some young linebacker depth. They don't have any at the moment. Terrence Garvin's moved on. He's signed for another team. Uh, Will Hoyt doesn't seem to be on his way back. They need some young talent there. They need some speed. So get these guys in. The priority undrafted free agents potentially down the road. Try and sell them the opportunity to come and play in Seattle and win, win a spot. And the Seahawks are in a better position to do that this year. Well, moving on to secondary, 
This is an interesting player, Nick Nelson, cornerback out of Wisconsin, because this is a guy that they visited with, I think, early on, maybe combine or had a, a pro day workout with, uh, with yeah. Nick Nelson. And then he suffers a meniscus injury in one of his private visits. And that guy may be projected to go second, third round. But now and also, I guess this would probably be more of a slot corner guy because only 30 inch, uh, 31 inch arms, um, but a corner with Wisconsin that they've showed some interest in. Yeah, I wish they had more draft picks because he's a player that would be a luxury in the early rounds. But you know, if he if he had a load of picks, then he would be a great a great signing. Um, Justin Coleman's out of contract next year, and he had a fantastic 2017 season. But is he going to be able to carry that on? It'd be nice to have some competition for him and a and a cheaper alternative if he wanted to move on in a year's time. Uh, and, and Nick Nelson for me is he could be the best cover cornerback in this draft class. If anybody wants to see what he's he's about, go and watch the Wisconsin-Maryland game because Nick Nelson is covering DJ Moore, who's a receiver, receiver's probably going to go in the top 40 from, from Maryland. He shuts him down. Moore does not have a catch in the game against Nick Nelson. I mean, he just completely shuts him down. He is, he is just watertight in his coverage. He's great running across the middle of the field, brilliant on the sideline, positioning's great. The only real knock on him is that he I don't think he's had a career interception in college and he gets yeah. his hands on the ball a lot, but he doesn't turn it into a turnover. But I have a, I have a hard time knocking a cornerback who does covers brilliantly and shuts down big name receivers like DJ Moore, but just doesn't turn the ball over. I'll settle for a guy who limits a number one receiver to a couple of catches or even no catches in a game and shuts them out of the game than someone who necessarily has a turnover but gives up a 40-yard pass downfield or something like that. So for me, Nick Nelson is one of the more underrated players in the draft. Not surprised the Seahawks met with him despite the arm length because it could be a really good slot corner for them. Could be some competition and a future replacement for Coleman. And um, if this unfortunate knee injury is going to push him into day three, then they took Walter Thurmond. I know he's a very different physical, you know, Thurmond was more like the kind of player they draft for the outside. But if, if Nelson was there in round five, for example, because of the injury, I think you take him, you rehab him, and you could have a real steal down the line. Yeah, 2017 season, you mentioned a lot of pass breakups, 21 pass breakups. Yeah. and It shows uh, as well. No interceptions like you mentioned. but You, you watch the tape, those, those 21 pass breakups, you'll, you'll just watch one game. Just watch that Maryland game, and you'll see why he got 21, because he's just incredible in coverage. Well, another guy, Tony Brown, Alabama. Uh, expected kind of toward the middle rounds of the draft, six foot one ninety five. Uh, again, under the thirty two inch arms, but thirty one and a half inches. He's kind of he's he's close there. Thirty one tackles, an interception, two pass breakups, and twenty. See, so you go from him, uh, from Nelson, who had twenty one pass breakups, to a guy who just has two pass breakups in uh, Tony Brown. Yeah, and, and it's hard to judge Alabama cornerbacks because they usually play with the benefit of this monstrous defensive line playing in front of them and Alabama usually have this heavy rotation so if you remember Tim Williams who was there not so long ago right. uh, I think he ended up going in the third round it was, it was talked about as a potential first round pick for a long time the character issues pushed him down the board he'd play something like 15% of the snaps and, and he would get two sacks in a game but they would only need him for sort of like 15-20% of the snaps because they would have another five star prospect who would come in and, and spell him and they could keep these guys fresh and because you're constantly rotating your defensive line with five star talent and, and it's also the biggest angriest men in college football as well who play defensive line for Alabama the cornerbacks kind of you know you've, you've got quarterbacks throwing dangerous throws taking a chance trying to move the ball downfield and it makes their life a little bit easier and 
Alabama, as Nick Saban is a fantastic secondary coach. You know, one of one of the best, if not the best, currently in college football. And yet, his players who play in the secondary don't tend to translate all that well, especially the cornerbacks, to the next level. There have been there are a few exceptions to that. Obviously, Landon Collins and people like that have come through at safety and have had good starts to their career. With Brown, for me, he's not a player who particularly stands out. He's a little bit outspoken. The Seahawks might like his personality and his his physical makeup. As someone they want to get get to know a little bit more, but I think for me there are better cornerback options in this draft. Well, one of those better cornerback options could be Holton Hill for Texas. And whereas Tony Brown maybe not finished uh, fit into some of the measurables, although uh, Brown did have a, a four three five forty, but uh, Holton Hill uh, six foot one ninety six uh, th- has the thirty two inch arms. Uh, his vertical a little on the short side, 31 uh, inches for a corner, but uh, 449, 40. Uh, the Seahawks like that sub 45 and uh, a 638 three cone. Um, Seattle likes a sub seven ish uh, three cone, I think. And then a short shuttle of, of 4.15. So fits kind of all those markers, I think, for an athletic Seahawks corner apart from the vertical. Yeah, the short shuttle's an important one here, and the 415 is really good from him. Um, looks like a Seahawks corner. Has, has not had the. Uh, there's, there's a theme with the Texas guys that a lot of them have not had the kind of careers that they're capable of. But, uh, you know, Malik Jefferson's the linebacker, is probably going to go in the. Uh, we're going to go in the second round. And he's another one who's fantastic athleticism. Didn't really have the career that everybody expected, though. And Holton Hill's another one like that. Um, was coveted by other big schools. Uh, got the size and the range and the and the length that, that these teams are looking for now, and it, it never really happened. There's a few character concerns or attitude concerns with him. I've I've watched some of his interviews and I haven't I haven't detected anything. You know, for example, it's it's not an exact science, but when you when you watched Malik McDowell speak a year ago, mm-hmm. it was there was some concern there because he just seemed yeah disinterested. <laughs> yeah, very disinterested and. You, you, you listen to Holton, you don't get any sense of that. He, he doesn't seem like a bad guy. I, I'm not sure what the issues are there. Nothing specific has come out on Holton Hill. But if that drops him down into day three, for example, he's there around four, around five kind of range, that's where the Seahawks love to draft their cornerbacks. I don't think they're going to draft him in round two, round three. Can I think they've never done that in the past. It would be a surprise if they're going to do that with Holton Hill. You know, Shaquille Griffin a year ago was a very, very unique player running in the four threes, having the length. We've, we've come to know that family now. We know the personality. We, we can understand why the Seahawks would love Shaquille Griffin enough to take him at the back end of round three. He's the earliest they've taken a cornerback. I would doubt if they're going to beat that now with Holton Hill. But if, if Hill's there round four, Hill's there round five, you know, there are other players that they could look at. I, I really like Cameron Kelly at San Diego State. Could be someone they look at. I think that he's kind of got that that ability to translate from safety to corner and maybe be a bit of a Deshaun shed in that regard, but maybe a little bit better. So there's other options there, but I think Holton Hill could be someone they really look at. Well, in the final corner, I want to get your take on uh, Simeon Thomas, Louisiana Lafayette. And I haven't seen any tape on these guys, but or on this guy, but I've seen his measurables and pretty incredible. Six <laughs> foot three inches tall, 190 pounds, has 35 inch arms, uh, 11 foot three inch broad <laughs> jump, 39 inch vertical and a sub four, five, 40 yard dash. Like yeah. that's, that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> The, the arm length is incredible. You know, he's <laughs> it's like Stretch Armstrong or something. But he and already six foot three, so I, you I add know. those long arms with an already uh, tall dude. The thing, the thing of the to look, the reason why length is so important. It's it's kind of limited. It's it's the range from which the radius which you can cover. So, 
for it's the same for receivers as well. You know, how long are the arms? How good is the vertical? How high can you jump? Are you high points in the football? You know, where can a quarterback throw the ball where you can go up and get it and the defensive back can't? And with defensive backs, kind of all the Seahawks have really done with these big, tall, long corners is find someone who can combat that, you know, especially with quarterbacks getting seven and back shoulder throws, stuff like that. Yeah. You need somebody who's, who's got the radius that can cover. I mean, if you've got someone who's 6'3", and it's, it's fast enough to not get beat deep. So if, you know, let, let's say that they're going a, a deep route and he can stick because he's got the speed to do that. But any of the shorter stuff or anything where you're throwing in, in you know, in underneath, he's got the range to do that. And if it goes up in the air, he can out jump the guy and he's got the length to, to go and reach the ball. Then, you know, what, what a chance, what a prospect to have. And clearly... I mean, I've not watched him. I don't know if he, he, he could be it could be chaotic in coverage, <laughs> for all I know. Um, it could be really good and a, and, a, and a real gem to look out for there. But if, if Pete Carroll, if Nick Saban's the best defensive backs coach in college football, Pete Carroll's the best in the NFL. So yeah. if, if, he can, if he can get his hands on a guy like that, coach him up. We've seen it so often. You know, the Seahawks turn players like Byron Maxwell into serviceable starters. They go to Philadelphia and Miami and it just, they're just horrible. They come to Seattle, they look like they can play the game. You know, if Pete Carroll can work his magic again with that kind of radius and coverage, he could be really good. Yeah, maybe a potential practice squad guy if they can uh, get him in mm. to, as an undrafted free agent, too. Because I, I, it doesn't sound like he's had a ton of playing time either. But uh, definitely when you look at those physical measurements. Now, one guy that I absolutely think is going to be a star on the next level, uh, who they had in pri- for a private visit at the VMAX safety, Justin Reed out of Stanford. And he's a guy I think is, whereas he was looked at as maybe second or third round early on, I think he's going to be maybe potentially at the back end of that uh, first round now. Yeah, I'm in the, the last mock draft I did, I him at 21 to Cincinnati, and, I, and I'm going to have another mock draft come out over the weekend, and he's going to be still at 21. There just aren't many safeties who run a four four zero at his size. And if if you've got that ability and that speed, then you can play free safety. You can, of course, you can play strong safety there. You can cover tight ends. There there are certain things about him that he needs to work on. I don't think his brother is just an absolute sledgehammer hitter. And I don't think that that Justin has has quite got that to his game yet. And there are some issues with tackling. But then Earl Thomas is going to have a has had a, has had a Hall of Fame career and has been a pretty awful tackler for the for the whole extent of it. Um, <laughs> and and so I, I'm willing to sort of let that go for Justin Reed if he's kind of got that speed and that range. I have to say I was surprised he ran a four four zero because sometimes when you watch Stanford play, he, he's, he wasn't Earl on tape. You know, Earl Thomas's range just stood out for Texas. He had eight interceptions in his final year in college. And that's just because he was incredible in, in you know, getting to the football, just a, a knack for making plays. And with Justin Reed, he, he wasn't quite that type of player. So even though he's got the speed, teams might still prefer to play him in the way that Eric's been played at San Francisco rather than playing him as Earl. But if you run a four four out, you've got to be able to you've got to have a look at this guy at free safety. So yeah, I think he's probably gonna go in the in the um definitely in the top thirty five, but very possibly goes in the twenties. Well, and I'm not asking him to be Earl Thomas. I mean, that's it's, no. I, it's tough to expect a guy to be a future Hall of Famer. I just think he's going to be really good. You know, you know what? We should we should never ever as any Seahawks fan should never ever say, "Let's hope this guy is either going to be Earl Thomas, Marshall Lynch, or Cam Chancellor," because it, it's never going to never going to happen. <laughs> never. <laughs> Well, the last guy on defense I wanted to ask you about, Natrell Jamerson, another player out of Wisconsin, maybe a day three type player, possibly day two, uh, 5'11", 201, also a 4'4", 40. 
Yeah, and, and I wonder if he's a hedge for someone like Justin Reed. Again, you know, we talked about Josh Sweat. Here's some alternatives later on. Here's Josh Sweat as a, maybe an early option. And if it doesn't work out, you've, you've got both scenarios there. And if they can't get to someone like Justin Reed, and if, if Earl Thomas is traded between now and the draft and they need to get a safety, then if Justin Reed's not a possibility, there's another guy they've looked at and, and spent some time on is Jesse Bates, the third at Wake Forest. He'd be another alternative at free safety. If they can't get at either of those two, I think they're both going to go in the first round or at least in the top 35. Then you look at someone like Natral Jameson, who has not played that much football at free safety, but he's got the 4-4-0 speed. There are things that you like. on That Wisconsin defense is so much fun to watch. You've got Leon Jacobs, you've got Nelson, you've got uh, Natral Jameson, you've got some other guys who are going to be in this draft class, some that are going to come through next year as well. They are a great defense. There was so much talent on that defense. And the other thing that's great about Jameson is his special team's ability. He is so good as as a gunner. He's going to have immediate special teams value there. So even if he wasn't starting, let's say that Earl Thomas isn't traded and you still draft someone like Natral Jameson, he's going to have a day one impact as a special teamer. Well, Rob, really want to thank you for coming on, talking about these defensive players. I know, uh, and, and I think uh, hopefully we can get you back next week to talk about some of these offensive players as well. Anytime. Looking forward to it. Well, a big thanks to Rob Staten. For coming on the show today. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Rob Staten, R O B S T A T O N. Check out SeahawksDraftBlog.com because uh, uh, every day he's updating it with some good stuff leading up to the draft and always has some of the information on not just the draft, but guys who specifically would fit into the type of system that the Seahawks run. And to have that kind of perspective going into the draft, I think helps us. Maybe narrow down the players a little bit more on what to expect on draft day versus having an entire sea of college players to look at. Absolutely, man. He's a godsend. I, I really enjoy having Rob on and uh, his insight. He's really out of all the guys out there that kind of predict this draft stuff. He really does a hell of a job considering it, the Seahawks are so unpredictable and uh, the best source you can get. So big thanks to him. Well, Adam, we've had a lot of outstanding guests on over the past 200 episodes And I also enjoy how nearly every week we get to talk about things that Seahawks fans are most passionate about. We'll even tackle topics like why we're not going to sign Colin Kaepernick. And I think it was clear to all of us that after this week, the Seahawks aren't going to sign Colin Kaepernick. No. Look, this is very simple. I mean, I saw the hoopla from both sides, right? Lots of hoopla. Oh, this is the perfect story for hoopla. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the story to keep getting them checks for the media because it brings out emotions on just about everybody, right? Oh, I know. Even better, there's multiple conflicting reports. So now you don't it's not just you have a, a story that brings out emotion. Now you yeah. can write other stories about the conflicting reports on the initial story. Right. See, the the thing about this is this is very simple. Colin Kaepernick has every right to express himself however he'd like to within the confines of the law. And taking a knee in front of the flag is one of those things. Now, NFL teams also have the right to employ who they would like and who they would not like to employ. And basically, they just got rid of two guys that were the biggest amount of drama on the team, Michael Bennett and Richard Sherman. Do you think they're going to bring in another guy that has just as much drama who's not going to play? Like, he's not even going to be a starter for you. He probably won't even see the field. Why in the world would you bring in that kind of drama in this transitional year into the locker room? Not that he's a bad guy, not that he's doing anything wrong, 
but half the country has their freaking nipple in a twist over this and can't let it go. And then the other half gets all defensive about it. Can everybody just let it go? Can we just let it go? I don't think so. <laughs> I think the judge by the, the news and everything going on is that it can't be let go. And I think that's, well, there's a couple things to the story that I'm not really sure about. Because you talk about the drama. The, the Seahawks clearly aren't opposed to drama in the past. Like I think they've had their fill. Of you it. think they've, you think, so do you think that the, does it ring true to you then that they asked him if he was standing or kneeling? And then if he was kneeling, that that was un- grounds enough for them to cancel it. Do you think that rings true to you? This is what rings true to me. The idea is, is that they looked at him and said, okay, we understand that your advocacy is something that's very important to you. I mean, obviously it's the, it's the number one thing, right? On his priorities. It's that and then football. It's not the other way around. Well, that's a good they question said, to ask, right? Yeah. And if he said, yes, that's my deal. They go, okay, how do you intend on handling that? And whether that is kneeling or not kneeling, whether that's how he speaks to the press or doesn't speak to the press or what type of issues he's going to get behind throughout a season, you know, things like that. Like, how does he intend to handle that? And I think that's exactly what they asked him. That's exactly what you would ask Anybody you would employ to do any job that has anything going on. Like, how do you intend to handle these distractions that come with the job or with what you do, you know, as a person? So do you think he was just maybe too vague for their liking and that he and that maybe they wanted honesty or I or he wasn't vague or he was like, yeah, I still plan on kneeling and I'm going to do a lot of press conferences and, uh, you know, I'm going to try to organize rallies and do all that. And the Seahawks looked at that and said, oh, that might be a little much for us. Okay. That could have happened. He could have been too vague. I mean, who the hell knows? The point is, is it doesn't freaking matter. It doesn't matter. You, we're, we're not going to pay him the type of money he wants to sit on the bench all freaking year. It doesn't make sense monetarily. It doesn't make sense socially. It doesn't make sense in the locker room. And why is anybody upset about it? Well, I think there's a lot of people out there that feel that Colin Kaepernick is a talented enough football player, much like Eric Reed, mm-hmm. that they should be playing on an NFL team and they should be compensated according to their skill level. Look, I'll put it to you in these terms. So I don't want Des Bryant on my football team in the same way that I don't want somebody like Eric Reed or Colin Kaepernick on the team this year. I don't want the extra distraction. Now, Des Bryant is a diva, and he's all sorts of distractions for the team. Supremely talented, yes. He's a talented enough football player that he should be playing on a team this year. But do you want to deal with his nonsense? It's the same thing like with T.O. back in the day. Do you sure. want to deal with the T.O. show? Do you want that hoopla around the team? It, 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 whether or not it's a political stance or a personal one like these you know, diva wide receivers are. That's what it all boils down to me. Do you want the drama or not? Is your locker room strong you, enough to handle it or not? Are you pro-hoopla or anti-hoopla? And I'm distinctly anti-hoopla. I, I support the guys. I support the guys right to do whatever he wants. It doesn't bother me in the slightest, but it seems to bother half the country insanely. And I don't want to deal with it. And I think that's how the Seahawks feel about it. I wish that Kaepernick would come out and talk about it. Like, I want to hear it straight from him. I don't want to hear it from sources. Yeah, that is a little weird. If he said, yeah, I plan on kneeling and the Seahawks said, okay, no, don't bother coming in. I want to hear it stay. I want to hear him say it directly because the sources stuff doesn't work for me because I don't know. That just doesn't sound like 
the the Pete Carroll and John Schneider that we've seen in the past. Now, maybe their stance has changed. Maybe they're becoming significantly more anti hoopla after Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett. But uh, look, man, I like my I like my beer, my women and my football team to be low on the hoopla scale. Cheap, easy beer. I'm not going to say cheap, easy women. That that, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) That doesn't sound right. No, but very, but, 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 you know, chill, chill ladies and, uh, a football team, low maintenance, I think maybe is low maintenance. See, that's why I I need a co-host to help me out with these things. Like I said, nothing on this show will ever be misconstrued and taken out of context (laughs) and played against me. Um, yeah. And I I want my football team to be low drama too. I just want to win. Yeah. I want to win. I want to piss on the 49ers every year. I want to piss on the Rams and the Cardinals. I want to piss on them all. Oh, and that's all I want to do without any drama. Uh, it, it, so there's nothing that those stupid fans of all those other crappy franchises can say about my team. Yeah. They can't say crap because we're just kicking your ass like we have since we've entered this division. That's all I want. That's all you want. That's, I feel like that's not a big ask. No. I'm a low hoopla guy. You just want all of your players to be like Russell Wilson. No, I want them all to be in the range of uh, Doug Baldwin okay. to Russell Wilson. Yeah. The one to five hoopla range. One to five. Yeah. You start getting on the plus side of the hoopla scale and I can't have it. Colin Kaepernick has plus hoopla. That's what we, that's what we know. Well, we, we definitely know it's, it's caused enough hoopla uh, in the past few days. That- what does the word hoopla even come from? That feels, that feels very Scandinavian. It feels like something like my grandmother would have said, like, oh, that's a lot of hoopla. Oofta. Hoopla origin. Noun informal, meaning bustling excitement and activity, commotion, hullabaloo. Well, that's another good, good word. Definitely hullabaloo. Definition number two, sensational publicity or ballyhoo. Oh, yeah. I can't have any ballyhoo either. And third definition, speech or writing intend to mislead or to obscure an issue. I think those are all good words. Uh, yeah. First recorded in 1865 to 1870, hoopla mm. is from the French word hoopla. Hoopla is from the French word hoopla. Is that what it just said? I guess. I think we. I think we've uh, hijacked it and gave it a, a better meaning. So thanks, French. Yeah. You know what? The, you know the other hoopla I have no interest in. Des Bryant. Well, this. You know what? This is going to stir up now. Hoopla. Hoopla around Earl Thomas going to the Cowboys. How's that going to stir up that? Well, I think now they have salary cap room to try to trade for a player that's not being traded. Like, good luck with that. That's great that you have cal- uh, cap space and everything. But if the other team doesn't want to trade that player to you, it's still not happening. Oh, no. That's see, how that works. See, I read on Twitter that uh, the, the Cowboys you started that phrase <laughs> and that should answer your own question. A good offer for the Cowboys would be to offer up their second round pick. And that's for it. Earl Thomas. Yeah. At number the pick number fifty, that'd be that'd be a great offer if their intention is to get uh, John Schneider to laugh. <laughs> like that'll be a deep belly chuckle from the other end of the line. Yeah, and then you have Pete Carroll say something like, "Well, that's a really cool offer, but no, <laughs> that's a, that's as far as that discussion would go." No, Bob Condota already has the article out on Seattle Times. Could Cowboys' release of Des Bryant increase the chance of a trade for Seahawks Earl Thomas? And this is more than just. I'm the, mad at Bob Condota. Yeah. How dare you? How da- like like that's you're you're being you're just being a gossip queen. What kind of crap is that? Stop it. 
Well, it's not as interesting just to have an article that says Des Bryant was released and it has no impact on the Seahawks whatsoever. Whatever, dude. We just don't make catfish up on the show and and just talk about it and get clicks. Like we actually talk about like the real things that are going on with the team that are things that you can confirm. Like that's what we do, and we still get listens <laughs> slash clicks. I think you can do it. Is all I'm getting at. It's possible. I think there's an audience that would appreciate that kind of thing. Maybe that's why our show does okay. I think that's why it does do okay. I think that's why we get new members of the flock more weeks than we don't. New members of the flock. Got two of them this week, Adam. See, this is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Welcome to the flock to Chris. And for a $6 pledge, we'll be welcoming Chris into the ring of honor. He gets a patch with that too, right? Heck yeah. Six bucks. All right. Well, hey, buddy. Thanks for thanks for becoming a little flocker, Chris. Appreciate it, bud. Patches by the end of the month. That's the goal. So yeah. uh, if you were a, a member of the flock at $5 or above, you probably got an email from me and uh, just wanting to know, hey, should I still send you a patch? And I'm sure they were like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how, the, you know, most of the uh, text slash emails Brandon sends me, uh, my response back to him is just, duh. That's all. That's it. So if you want it, like if, if Brandon ever emails you, just just write him back. Duh. 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 That's all you need. And a welcome to the flock to Gary Wong and for right. some stickers and bonus shows. Right on. Well, thank you, Gary. Once the uh, season comes around and there's actually more to talk about than uh, uh, Des Bryant isn't coming to the Seahawks and why nobody cares about this Kaepernick story, we'll start putting out bonus shows because there'll be more to talk about. Oh, I know what I had planned for this show. What? The preseason schedule came out. We're going to go pick by pick through the preseason schedule and decide if the Seahawks are going to win or lose against the Colts, Chargers, Vikings, and Raiders. All wins. Well, we got to give a little more detail than that, don't we? No. How are we supposed to fill 15 to 20 minutes worth of content for the bonus show? Oh, um, we won't. We're, we're going to wait till the season starts. Shoot. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Well, it means the regular season schedule is right around the corner, too. Yippee. And we already know all the teams that we're going to be playing. Right. But just not in what order. Right. Which, again, doesn't matter. It, make, it makes a difference sometimes. No, it does not. I mean, it might in the sense of you end up playing back-to-back teams that are tough in week eight when a key player happens to be injured on one side or the other and then it makes a difference who you play in what order but good luck predicting that crap well no see we need to start uh, ramping up our promotion of dave bloomquist's annual Mm. uh, schedule analysis on how the seahawks are getting screwed right so of course it matters can't say it doesn't matter Look, I didn't say it didn't matter to the tinfoil hat folks. Then Dave Bloomquist's analysis wouldn't matter. You know, I think I think I'm going to look for like a professionally built tinfoil hat to send Dave. <laughs> like, because I, I it, because he's the best at it. He's the best. I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, it's like watching. Like every so often, I will watch Alex Jones and just kind of laugh because <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. It's entertaining. I like a good conspiracy theory now and then. I love a good conspiracy theory. I found out. That if you make 9-11 jokes at the 9-11 memorial about conspiracies, it's not well received. (laughs) Go figure. That's weird. I don't know. I only made one. Yeah, that's all it needed, right? Yeah. 
Just testing the waters. Finding out who your audience is. Yeah, you know? and they mumble some curse words under under their breath. <laughs> <laughs> there was an eye roll in there, I think. Yeah, that too. So just pro tip, don't do that. Pro tip. Adam <laughs> tried it. Didn't work. Go yeah, figure. Don't make, don't make conspiracy theory jokes at uh, the 9-11 memorial. That's kind of one of those things that I felt like you didn't need to try before you do. Like some people just kind of inherently know that's a bad idea. Some some people. Yeah. Like the whole jumping off the bridge concept. If your friend's going to do it, you know, the thing that you learn as a kid, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you don't have to actually try it to know that you shouldn't do it. Right. You should just kind of know. I think I feel I, I feel like it falls in that category. Do you think I plan a lot of this? No. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It just comes out. Well, one piece of good news I got this past week. Looks like my Tyler Lockett jersey. We're going to be seeing it soon. That's sweet, man. Rams podcast. I got a photo from the beach where yeah. uh, they're running the three cone drill. Okay. I, I can't wait for the video. Are they going to do a video? They're supposed to be doing a video. Okay, cool. All right. Well, we raised the bar pretty high last year with the video. So, yeah. I like the juxtaposition, too. What's our bet going to be this year? I think we need to have uh, uh, both of us bet both of those fellas. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Rather than just trade back and forth? Right. Got to up the ante, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So what are we going to... Because I cannot wait. I cannot wait to watch this Rams team implode this year. (laughs) Man, the more I think about it, and all these crazy personalities they brought in for on one-year deals on don't give a catfish deals. They come in there and try to mercenary a title like real quick before they have to pay Gurley and uh, Goff. Like, and then on top of all that, they bring in all these freaking head cases, and then they've got a coach who's younger than you and me. <laughs> They're not going to take him serious. Marty Schottenheimer went for it with the Chargers the year after they went 14-2, and two, brought in a couple questionable guys. And to this day, he says that is the biggest mistake he ever made, was bringing in a couple knucklehead dudes. He thought the locker room was strong enough to handle it, and he's like, it destroyed it. And that's with Marty freaking Schottenheimer, who had you know years and years and years of experience in this league and was well-respected as a head coach at that time period. Sean, you're telling me Sean McVay is going to hold that ship together? Pretty boy, frat boy Sean McVay is going to hold that together. Good luck, Rams. That's going to be amazing. Well, he does have a coach on the team with Wade Phillips, who's at least... Who's been run over by a bunch of knuckleheads. He's... He got run over by knuckleheads in Dallas, dude. He got run over by his owner in Buffalo. You got thrown out of Denver the first go round. We've we've talked about this before. Is Wade Phillips a coach in Denver right now? The answer is no. no. So that's true. That, that's not the one successful. place that it worked. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's and a good that's point. Where he's not. I keep thinking. Of, I keep forgetting that he's in Los Angeles instead. Yeah. But anyways, I don't know how I got off on that tangent. But screw the Rams. <laughs> so we need to come up with a bet with the Rams podcast guys because there's there's a lot of fodder here. There's a lot of fodder. I, I think maybe just straight up division winner might be the bet. Or just whoever has the better record between the two teams, right? Well, I mean, it's going to be us or them who wins this division. Well, here's the thing. I listened to one of the latest episodes of the Rams podcast. Yeah. They've already essentially conceded that they've they've won the division. They conceded that they won? <laughs> or they, well, what's the word? Huh? They, they claim that they've already won. They, they've, they've, yes. Yeah. The Rams podcast guys have claimed that they've essentially already won the division. 
That's pretty neat. I, I really I really enjoy people winning division titles in the offseason. That's uh that's in in free agency no less. Like good luck with that. So you know they would take up that bet. I know. That's what I'm saying. So do we take that? We can bet? even get good odds too. So like how many games should we How many more wins will we have than they do at the end of the year? Three? What I'm saying is how many how many fewer wins do they think that they're going to give the Seahawks? So like we can say uh, we could just go by wins next year. And they have to give us two wins. Okay. Oh, so like as a handicap, like a handicap. Yeah. What would the handicap be that we could get from them? Uh, that's interesting. God, that'd make that a super. I'd do a dead nuts even to be honest. But if you, <laughs> well, I'm talking. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you're right. We deserve a handicap. Um, I bet you. I bet you they'd give a game and a half. Okay, that seems fair. So, Remember, it's the hot apocalypse. So, so ask for two and a half, and then we can come down to one and a half. Ask for three and a half. What are they going to do? Take your birthday away? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably already think that they have twelve wins. So, don't they? Aren't they already in the Super Bowl? From the talk that I'm hearing, the Rams oh. are already in the Super Bowl next year. Okay. Yeah. Aren't they playing the Jaguars in the Super Bowl right now? Like next week? <laughs> I kind of think the draft's coming up. Right. Oh, yeah. The draft. Yeah. There's still stuff. There's still, still stuff, huh? There's still stuff. Schedule okay. still has to come out. True. Yeah. Oh, so they haven't won a bunch of games in uh, a Super Bowl already, huh? Although I do want Dave Bloomquist to look at the Rams schedule and see how easy they have it. For a team that won the division last year. Exactly. That might be. Now, see, that could be interesting. That could be interesting. Because I think it's only going to be easy because the Cardinals appears on their uh, schedule twice. And the good thing is, I, we've both talked about how we enjoy a good conspiracy. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of good conspiracy options around the Rams being in L.A. and building a new stadium and uh, how, you know, how a big win this year and all the hoopla around them mm-hmm. could mm-hmm. Uh, could add to the because they need to sell some tickets they need to sell some seat licenses yeah they need people to come to their games please come to the Rams please games. come to the Rams games Todd Gurley would really appreciate it please all right Adam what so you for that uh, that edition of crapping on the Rams uh, <laughs> I think we can wrap that up uh, we need a crapping on the Rams jingle <laughs> heck yeah so we can talk about like, it regularly. Crap it on the Rams. Like there's a like putting on the Ritz. There it is. I, I it was a song in my head <laughs> and it was putting on the Ritz. Crap it on the Rams needs to be put to putting on the Rips. We can find somebody to do this. I bet we can. Yeah. I mean, that's why that's why people donate on Patreon at gettingtheflock.com so we can do these types of things. Right. Because we found you know, for Prisco's world, that that wouldn't paid for that. That's for right. that jingle. There we go. Yeah, we need a crap okay. on the Rams jingle. I'm gonna make a note here. What do you say we get on to some do better and better at life? All right, man. My do better this week is for a woman named Autumn who was working as a child care provider at the YMCA here in Missoula, Montana. Why does she need to do better? Because she was doing freaking meth at the child care center. <laughs> That's right. She had she had she had taken over a like a, a a cabinet, apparently. Uh-huh. That she must be a small woman. Because she'd taken over a cabinet. And she that she would like sneak into and shut the doors behind her. And then she had little eye hooks attached to like close it from the inside. So nobody could open up the doors on her while she was in there. She had a little battery powered light, a pipe and some sort of filter to blow the meth smoke out into. Wow. Taking care of young children at the YMCA 
and smoking meth. So first off, do better. Don't do meth. Yes. B, do better. Don't do meth around young children. And C, I have a problem with the headline writer for KPEX. Okay. Because it says that uh, there was a charging documents show employee had drug den at daycare. They're calling her little hidey hole in a cabinet a a drug drug den. den. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little bit. uh, That's a bit of a stretch. That's a bit of a stretch. But, you know, what you could say is that she is doing better because she wasn't exposing the children to the meth smoke. That's yet to be determined. I guess they're doing some tests. But uh, to Autumn Hines, do better. And don't do meth. Don't do meth. I think we've been pretty pretty consistent about that on the show. Throughout 200 episodes on the show, there's one message that's been consistent. Don't do meth. Don't do meth. Unless you do. (laughs) Then stop. Right. My do better this week for Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma Sooners quarterback and potential top draft pick. You know, the more I look at Baker, the less I like, man. Really? Well, I didn't like it this week when I saw his NFL.com video where Baker Mayfield went and visited a psychic to predict where he was going to go in the draft. Well, that's not far off from when Russell Wilson pulled names out of a hat with his ex-wife. Well, at least this way, he's getting it out there ahead of time rather than Russell Wilson just telling the story of how he pulled out the hat because we learned about that after the draft. Is that a problem? It could be a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Just depends on if you believe him or not. Like this is is now documented because he had a whole video crew go with him to go and talk to a psychic and he sits down with her and he's uh, the quote that got me was toward the end where he says, I don't know if I believed in it until now. So now Baker Mayfield from sitting down with a psychic for five minutes now believes in uh, psychic abilities. Look, I, I see doing it on a goof. You know, like, just like, ah, I got 50 bucks to blow. It's and entertainment, like, right? It's entertainment, right? If you spend it like that, I get it. But you know what you don't do? Bring a TV crew with you. That that screams douche. This guy's a giant catfish. I don't know if he's the worst defender, though, out of the, uh, out of the group of quarterbacks this year. Really? Who would your pick be? I don't know. I hear a lot about Josh Rosen. Dude, he's just arrogant. There's a difference there. Okay. Like the stuff they bang on Josh Rosen about. I'm sorry. That's like you just being mad that his family has money. whoop de doo Like, yeah, he came from a rich family. Get over it. It happens. All right. I like Baker Mayfield. He's I bet you do because he's a sooner. No. Dude, I'm telling you, like there's. There's some guys that are entertaining. Is he like, too high on the hoopla scale for you? Is he a six? Oh, by a lot. <laughs> by a lot. See, like, Chad Johnson was high on the hoopla scale, right? But his teammates loved him, right? I mean, he he did bring a lot of attention to his teammates as well. Where Baker's all about him, man. And he's not even that good of an athlete. I don't know. The more I... The one, the one thing that makes it hard for me to judge him is he was freaking accurate. Yeah. He was freaking accurate. And that's a, that's the number one trait I look for in a quarterback. Number two is leadership skills. And I think his leadership skills suck. Really? You can't be grabbing your crotch on the sideline screaming catfish you at the opposing bench when you're up 27 to three or some crap. You know what we call those? We call that immaturity issues. Yep. And that, and you know what? And do you think giving him, do you think giving him a bunch of money and fame is going to help that? 
Do you think that's going to straighten him up to fly right? I think there's certain people that you can look at and say, you know, they they mature just based on age. And then there's people that just aren't going to ever be that type of person. I, I put uh-huh. him in the, the category of he's going to get it figured out. Hell no, dude. Nope. I look, I I think I'm putting him in the can't play category. Like Uh-oh. that's what I've been yeah. See. Yep. No, he couldn't I even think beat out Davis Webb at frickin' Texas Tech. And he sucks. Davis Webb stinks. But I think he went to somewhere where he could play and, and grew a little bit and, and now he No he didn't, he's still short. <laughs> I'm sorry, he's not Drew Brees. You're not a heightist. Don't no, bring I'm this into us. I'm not a heightist. But it, a lot like everybody said when Russell Wilson was drafted, you have to be plus in every other category except for the height, right? Yeah. And when it comes down to character, he's a major minus. No, thank you. All right. Well, you know what? Not for my I'm quarterback. Not gonna, I'm not going to make... Ba- I, I, because of all this, I'm not ba- making Baker Mayfield my do-better. I'm making the actual psychic that my do-better because she pulls out the card. Leanne Cornell, uh, she pulls out uh, the set of cards of all the teams. And guess guess who he picks? The Cowboys. Arizona Cardinals. Going uh, to a division rival, according that to the would be Awesome. And then she goes on to say that she will be a disaster. She, she says, I don't know. I just see Super Bowl around this kid. Well, whatever. So lady. for psychic, Lee and Cornell, do better. Yeah. She she clearly doesn't understand where the Cardinals are as a franchise right now. <laughs> right. Who's even the head coach for the Cardinals now? Uh, the dude for the who is the defense coordinator for the Panthers. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, that guy. That guy. I got to find a way to hate him, too. I don't know. I mean, sports hate. Sports right. hate. Yeah, but... Not real hate. I hope he. I hope his family's good. I hope he does well. But the thing personally. is, if they're terrible, like, that just... You can't... Oh, I hope they draft Baker Mayfield. Oh, please. That'd be about as... That'd have been about as stupid as overpaying for Kirk Cousins. I think the best best scenario would be Josh Allen to fall to the Cardinals. I don't know. I haven't looked at Allen yet, mm. so I can't okay. I can't say. But one thing I do know, the Seahawks only uh, are visiting with quarterbacks with the last name Allen. So what we need to do is uh, figure out all the quarterbacks in this draft cra- class with the last name Allen. Because they, they, Schneider went to Josh Allen's workout, and then they had some low-level prospect uh, kid who played quarterback with the last name Allen. Come I, in thought his first, I thought it was another guy with the first name Josh. No. Oh yeah, Kyle Allen. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk to Rob about Kyle Allen next week. So clearly, the only quarterbacks we're interested in are the ones with the last name Allen. I think those might be the only two. There's Marcus Allen, but he plays safety. No, he played running back and is in the Hall of Fame. Guess what, though, Marcus Allen? He has a godfather who is in the NFL Hall of Fame. Can you guess who it is? Not Marcus Allen. <laughs> it's not Marcus Allen. It's Curtis Martin. Really? Yeah. Oh, that that that's pretty good trivia by you. Oh, here's another here's another Allen at quarterback. Yeah. Austin Allen, quarterback for Arkansas. There we go. Which I think is the brother of Brandon Allen, the guy that I liked coming out of Arkansas a couple years ago that can't seem to get a chance. Really? Do you know who his godfather is? Your mom close still your mom (laughs) (laughs) moving on to better life 
All right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't keep track of everybody's godparents. Just Marcus Allen. Oh, okay. Yeah, not the Marcus Allen you're thinking of either. Another no, Marcus, Marcus Allen. Allen from Penn State, the safety. Wonderful. This show sucks. We're, we're way <laughs> off the tracks. Let me let me bring this right back out of the tracks with something that's not ridiculous at all and totally relates to football. Uh, my better my better life than Skip Bayless this week is for NASA. That's right, it's for NASA. You'll be stunned. You want to know why? Because the headline is this: NASA shoots human sperm into space. What <laughs> is this to combat the uh, planet that's supposed to destroy us all? Come April twenty third. Oh yeah, uh, Nerubu or whatever yeah. they they call Planet X. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that this was supposed to destroy us like last year in October and then like in 2007 and then also year 2000. If you're a planet that's attacking the Earth, you want a surprise attack. You you don't want to orchestrate your your maneuvering. Here's all right. Let, we'll come back to NASA shooting sperm into space here in a second. <laughs> but like if, if he, like just a quick thing to these these guys that think that there's a rogue planet that's about to run into the Earth imminently, like just just a quick word of the wise. Like, as it comes closer to Earth, the sun would illuminate it. Like, I don't know if you've looked into the sky, but just the other night I went outside and Venus, bright as hell. And like, it'd be coming from a long distance. You don't think we'd see a freaking planet coming at us? It just depends on whether or not you believe in, maybe, in the, maybe. That the sun can illuminate other planets off in the distance. Well, I, I don't believe in it. I know that as a fact because we see them. So there's that. But... Maybe you think NASA is too distracted shooting sperm in space to uh, be looking for rogue planets. So basically, uh, they conducted an experiment called Micro 11, and they've done this with uh, samples from other mammals uh, where they activate the sperm and then see if it goes through all of the uh, progression to see if it will uh, fertilize an egg. This is an important piece in figuring out whether or not we can be an interplanetary species, because if we can't, if we can't have uh, space babies, then we, we can't propagate the universe. Like that's just the way it is. So they're doing experiments to see how uh, this uh, is affected in microgravity. And uh, they'll, uh, they'll have some more results for us here uh, very soon. And I think it's exciting work. You know, I know they're not actually shooting it into space, but I just like the title. So NASA better at life. Keep shooting that sperm up in space. Okay. Space sperm. Yeah, great. I think I kind of like the other story better. What, Nerubu? Yeah. Or Nibiru. Whatever it's called. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, does it have a cloaking shield, this planet? You don't know. Yeah, I do, because it don't exist. Guess we'll know April 24th, won't we? I don't need to wait. (laughs) I already know. You know what, Adam? That's why you're my better at life this week. Oh, God. After 200 episodes, here we are. You haven't changed. Adam Emmer. <laughs> Thanks, man. Better at life than Skip Bayless. You haven't changed either, my man. You're still embarrassed when I talk about things like space sperm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably won't change by episode 400 either. Nope. Definitely not. It's uh, another five years, right? Is that how long get it took to us to get here? Four and a half, five years? Yeah. Right in there. Yeah. We took the off season off the first off, uh, the first year. So I right. bet another four we'll get here. Correct. Yeah. Another four years. Except I think when, I got it in me. Except when we start doing two shows a week starting the season. When we, when we meet our goal of uh, 300 floggers. Yeah. Getting the flock.com. Yeah. Because if it. you do that, then you're going to get to have a half drunk podcast. 
Like Brandon and I will get on the mic after the game. Yeah. I'll be drunk. He won't. <laughs> and we'll do, we'll do the podcast and give you uh, immediate reactions uh, after the games. Yeah. When possible. The, the, the as long as I'm not working. Yeah. It's just, I might be in the sawmill. Like that's, that's just the way it is. So it, it will only be when Adam's drunk. Yeah. Cause I'm not show. drunk in the sawmill. Right. That'd be a good way that'd to be, die. That, that's a bad, that'd bad be way. a really fast way to die. Bad idea. <laughs> yeah. There's multiple ways to die in a sawmill. Turns out, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So don't do that. And before we get out of here, uh, a quick thanks to Andrew for coming through on the Lance Zerline Wikipedia page update. This made me so ridiculously, <laughs> stupidly happy. Like to, to watch it, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. This is good stuff. You know, when we when we do little things and we say, hey, maybe you know, maybe do that, folks. You know, all you little flockers out there, and then you guys do it. It's great. The call to action was amazing, and uh, this was genius. Lancelot Zerline is a sports analyst and commentator. Now, for one, genius middle name right there. A lot. Yes, a lot. Lance a lot. He is known for escaping early penetration. He prances <laughs> like a ballerina while escaping late penetration. His whip route is amazing. While his nay route still needs work. <laughs> he has leg talent and a plus leg with levers. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. I want to know how long it takes for him to realize that. Oh, it's down already. Is it really? Yeah, the way Wikipedia works, it's like you can. Uh, it's like using sidewalk chalk uh, yeah. for graffiti. Like you go okay. and it's it goes. Yeah, I, I think it even probably detects some of this stuff automatically. It goes, you know what? This isn't real. I'm just going to wash this away. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was like a crowdsource encyclopedia that people could edit stuff up and then it stayed that way until like whoever cared about that subject came through and was like, no, that doesn't work and that doesn't work and that doesn't work. No, I think they. I think they have. Maybe some automation that does some of the reviewing. I bet you Lance Lancelot Zerline did it. He may have got the update and said, yeah, yeah no, I need to put this back. Exactly. My nay route's perfect. I don't know what they're talking about. We should have just edited it to say he also has a perfect nay route. <laughs> Instead of being a crybaby shitfish ass about it and having the whole thing change. Yeah. So thanks to Andrew for coming through on that. Thanks to associate producer Dustin Mock. And uh, I think with that... There's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.